Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I was always interested in looking at what the role of the built environment is in shaping our behaviour, how we behave within a certain environment. And combining the interaction between the built environment, personalities and cultural aspects. So even though we might have the same sort of city layout, it would result in completely different behaviours of people depending on in which geographical location that city would be located. So I was always really interested in understanding what makes that particular part of a city feel the way it does, kind of the atmosphere. Human geography and urban planning are two critical areas of work for people like Miriam Schindler, who you just heard there, as New Zealand deals with the increase of housing intensification, immigration and climate change. Welcome to Voices. I'm Kadambri Ragukumar. As New Zealand reeled under the impacts of the floods and Cyclone Gabriel earlier this year, a few things became more evident than ever, and one of that was the importance of urban green spaces and how they can create what's called sponge cities. Also this year, as the debate for housing projects heats up, the work of researchers like Miriam really come into play. Really understanding how we can build cities or places or neighbourhoods that spark positive reactions in people, inviting people to spend time in those places, feeling a sense of welcoming, and yeah, understanding how we can plan that or how we can, yeah, I guess, contribute or foster that, um, yeah, those relationships between people, the place. What's interesting is how do spaces impact how societies live, how we interact with each other, and what do we do in these public spaces considering not everyone's a dog owner or a jogger. Miriam's based at Victoria University, but her story goes back to Europe. I grew up in uh, south of Germany, in New Munich, in a quite a small town, I would say. Um, but I spent a lot of time in Munich during my uh, undergrad studies. What kind of a city is Munich in terms of livability, in terms <laughs> of your area of study? At that time, I really thought that Munich is the most livable city. <laughs> there are lots of parks, um, lots of green spaces to visit. Uh, it has a really good atmosphere in terms of people wanting to spend time in the city, meeting people in the city, and um, yeah, it has a good mix of providing the social environment, but also the natural component within the city. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed my time in Munich. Um, but now that I'm living in New Zealand, I think that New Zealand cities have a really special um, relationship with nature and I really now looking back miss that in Munich for example so how nature is actually integrated uh, within New Zealand cities so especially within Wellington I mean we everyone in Wellington lives within a short distance to a green space to a walking track uh, and we live with nature much more I don't know in a daily encounter than we do in Germany. So is that by default or by design? 
both. I think it is a cultural aspect um, that we in New Zealand have a different relationship to nature as we do in Germany, but also by design, yes. Um, Munich is quite paved up. <laughs> There's not a lot of green space directly within the city. I mean, parks in Germany are quite well maintained. Um, it's quite well defined which sort of plants go where. Whereas in Wellington, it's much more natural in many ways. So if we look at some European cities, um, green spaces or public spaces more generally are used as an extension of the living room. So for example, for social gathering, sometimes because our houses might be a bit smaller, we don't have the space to invite people over, so we use green spaces um, yeah, as an extension of our living room. Whereas here, green spaces are often perceived as a retreat into nature, kind of a binary between city, the busy city life and the natural wilderness. Um, so some of the aspects that are more less maintained and are more remote is what we perceive as yeah, what we value. We need to understand the geographical and cultural and socioeconomic context of each city before we are able to say which sort of green spaces or which strategy, greening strategy, would be the best fit for a particular context. As things stand today in New Zealand, existing urban green spaces face a fair bit of competition from the demand for more housing. But obviously, traditionally, that has never been the case with our globally famous reputation for every house with a backyard situation. Here's Professor Matthew Bradbury of Unitech. Uh, New Zealanders have grown up with kind of houses and gardens and and really have been careless with how public space might be kind of used. I mean, I think in terms of public in terms of sport, I think we've got a very clear understanding of parks as as sports grounds. And um, you know, we've got a clear understanding of how they work and how they're designed and how they're used. You know, that's as any kind of parent um, of kids playing rugby, you know, you get to know Auckland well a certain kind of Park pretty pretty clearly, and and it's a very understandable model. But how 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 do we use it apart from kind of sport, or how do we use it apart from walking the dog? So I think that's the you know that's definitely a challenge. But I think it's kind of interesting how um, how other you know other cultures who companies you know they're really clear about how public spaces is kind of used. And so you know you go to like Mission Bay or you go to um, Cornwall Park, so you're seeing you know all sorts of kind of people. In, uh, mm. in those parks and, the, and you know, how they, how they use them, how they use barbecue areas, um, how they kind of set up seating areas and tables and chairs. And, you know, that's a kind of a really clear model of how you kind of use public space, but in a way, in a kind of communal way. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of clues to how public space can be developed. But we, we, yeah, we're just going to have to make our public space perhaps more Multi-use, I suppose, you know, it's not just a green space with some trees. Actually, it can be used in, in lots and lots of different ways. As housing developments are on the rise, like many urban geographers, Miriam's concerned about how these can be exclusionary and could exist in bubbles of their own. That's a really big challenge for us at the moment, because if we are really focused on providing housing quickly, and we see all those large-scale developments happening at the moment, they cater for a particular population group. Um, so some of the research that I have done recently um, shows that are mostly inviting um, high-income population groups, um, so they cater for a particular 
part of the population, but they're not necessarily attractive or even affordable for other um, parts of the population. So we are sort of um, aggravating that um, polarization within society rather than actually diminishing it and providing opportunities for mixing um, um, socially and um, culturally. Green spaces and more communal spaces can really play an important role in welcoming to those that live in those um, new developments but also inviting people from outside the developments that they don't necessarily fit in well with the existing neighbourhoods, so they're kind of add-ons to what is already there in terms of the landscape. So having community spaces or green spaces or any sort of space that invites public uh, gatherings will help to not create those sort of isolated communities. Given how closely connected the well-being of societies and access to common public green spaces are, Miriam's research is around how large-scale housing developments could ignore the inclusion of these vital shared and communal green spaces. We should be making sure that um, those spaces are actually being provided and that would mean maybe more responsibility by those and part of those who are actually developing um, those spaces. From my experience uh, living in European cities specifically, it is not so common to have those large-scale developments and some of it is much more organically grown um, and therefore it is much easier to adapt and be responsive, agile in what sort of housing typologies we provide. Professor Bradbury again. We've got plenty of parks. In fact, you know, that's kind of an interesting kind of phenomenon that it's been a kind of complaint in Auckland Council is that, you know, they've got all these parks, um, no one uses them and they have to mow them. You know, there's this kind of huge annual kind of maintenance budget. So, you know, potentially we can actually kind of connect up these two things. We can connect up with the, you know, the growth of people coming to Auckland and these existing parks. But we, yeah, but just thinking about them differently and using them differently there's kind of a potential for them to actually, you know, become genuine public spaces. It's making the sort of public spaces, the parks that we do have, it's opening our eyes to kind of how important they are. So they're, you know, they're important because lots more people are coming and and we're moving into this new urban model. But it's also important in terms of climate change that we are going to have to have more green spaces in our in our city. And um, the green spaces that we do have, we've really got to look after and. That, that you know, it's not just the dog, it's not the walking the dog, or it's not just you know playing footy. It's actually being culturally responsive to all these new people that are kind of coming to New Zealand and for allowing and giving opportunities for people to kind of use parks in all sorts of different ways. You know, my particular research area is in kind of in, in climate change, and and so again, I'm talking about Auckland, but the floods, the anniversary weekend floods, 27th of January have really kind of shown to us the importance of, of parks and green spaces for alleviating and mitigating, you know, the kind of worst aspects of, of kind of flooding. So, you know, you probably heard of this kind of idea of the sponge city, this idea of making green space to absorb water. And, you know, I think that's really been brought home to Aucklanders that, that the green space we do have, you know, which we kind of are losing, is really super critical. That was Miriam Schindler and Matthew Bradbury talking to me about urban planning and the importance of green spaces in New Zealand. 
Every week, I bring you stories from all around New Zealand, featuring people from all around the world. If you like what you hear, find us on Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. Today's episode was mixed by Flo Wilson, and I'm Kadambri Raghukumar. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.